You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Are the Yankees woes over? Let's talk some Major League Baseball. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. I'm Chris Button. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Buster only joining us now, ESPN MLB Insider, also the host of Baseball Tonight with Buster Only Podcast. Buster, appreciate you hopping on. Sure, Chris. Good to talk with you. You too. I feel like over the weekend we were talking about what's wrong with the Yankees since the All-Star break, and they had a 10-20 ten, ten record since that time, and now we're winners of four straight. What's your feeling on what's shifted for the Yankees recently? Well, I think it's just that generally the overall talent uh, on the roster manifesting itself. It, it was very interesting after the first game against the Mets, talking with folks in the Yankees organization, and you could feel this sense of relief. Uh, because they were on edge. We saw it on Saturday with Aaron Boone, you know, slamming the table when he was talking with reporters. We saw it on Sunday when Garrett Cole, you know, walking out of the dugout after Aaron Judge was hit by a pitch, you know, yelling at the opposing pitcher. Um, so, you know, the, the winning that uh, that game on Sunday against the, the Blue Jays, uh, taking two from the Mets, I know they're feeling a lot better about themselves, and they're going to be feeling even better, I think, later in the week when they get Giancarlo Stanton back in the lineup, they really feel like that his absence has had a huge effect on the offense, and uh, especially with how uh, Aaron Judge has been pitched to. You go over to the NL East. They take two from the Mets. It's now just uh, the Braves one and a half games back of the Mets in that division. How do you see this one playing out with the Braves having played so hot recently? Yeah, I, you know, look, I, you know, before the season started, my World Series choice, it turned out to be kind of a dumb one, it seems like. I picked the Blue Jays to beat the Braves. And then in midseason, when we were asked to do mulligans for ESPN.com, I, I you know, just, I, I said I turned it in. I think the Braves are going to go back to back. They'll be the first team since the 98 to 2000 Yankees to go back to back. And this is not a case for me of the Mets losing the lead or not playing well. This is the Braves playing out of their minds. And when you really think about it, you know, uh, they won the World Series last year. And then early this season, they get Ronald Acuna Jr. back from that uh, knee injury that took him out last July. And if you look at the nationally rookie of the year race, they may have the number one, number two, and number three candidates. I mean, think about that, Mm -hmm. how good this team is. And it looks like they're going to at least have Mike Soroka back as an option down the stretch. They do feel like they're rounding in a form. When I talked to a Braves official over the weekend, I mentioned to him I felt like that losing those back-to-back series to the Mets may have been the punch in the jaw that his team needed, and he totally agreed with me. He thought that that woke him up, and, and uh, you know they have not uh, slowed down since that uh, they lost 4-5 or five to the Mets. Yeah, they got hot at the right time, went through this really tough schedule over about the last 10 days or so. Maybe if they win the World Series, they'll figure out how to slow down a parade this year. Uh, the, the Dodgers were this team, like, th- they were playing so hot as well. They have 85 wins. They lose Walker Bueller, who's got to have a second Tommy John surgery. What's your faith in them without him in the rotation? Um, it, it's pretty high. Uh, I mean, I really think that in the National League, you have three potential super teams. Uh, the Mets, if DeGrom and Max Scherzer are healthy in the postseason. The Braves we talked about. And the Dodgers, they certainly have uh, you know, found pitching. Tony Gonsolin this year, uh, Arias is, would be a candidate, uh, I think, for the Cy Young Award this year. If Gonsolin wasn't pitching so well, uh, you know, maybe Clayton Kershaw comes back. They've got other guys in that staff who can fill in, even with Bueller out. And, and it was interesting, the last time we had the Dodgers on 
uh, Sunday Night Baseball, which was a couple weeks ago. I, I saw Walker, and I'm like, how you doing? He kind of looked at me and goes, I'm not feeling that great. So, you know, he's out for the rest of the year. But the biggest thing about the Dodgers and what makes them so dangerous is the top of that lineup. Uh, you know, having Mookie Betts and Trey Turner and Freddie Freeman, they're on a pace to have a better run differential than the team that in the last 30 years was probably the best team. The 98 Yankees had a run differential plus 309. It looks like the Dodgers are going to obliterate that number. That's how good their offense has been over the last six weeks. Talking Buster only ESPN MLB Insider. Talking about three super teams. Is there a team that we're not talking about that you think can make a late run come October? Yeah, I'd say the St. Louis Cardinals, who have a lot of great players. Uh, and, and you know, it might be that by the time we get to October, um, you know, maybe some of the young guys who were so hot early they they will start to play well again. They just, in a postseason series, you can imagine a, a Paul Goldschmidt, who's right now the front runner to win the MVP in the National League, you know, him manifesting, uh, Nolan Arenado manifesting, uh, you know, maybe the additions they made before the trade deadline helped out. It looks like they're going to take control of the National League Central. They'll probably be the number three seed and face uh, in the first round the, the lowest wild card seed. I think because of the experience of that team, they could sneak up on the outside. But I, d- I don't think that we can classify them among the three elite teams in the NL right now. Since you, since you brought up the Cardinals, Albert Pujols trying to see if he can get to 700 career runs. There's that home run race to a 700 number. And then there's Aaron Judge trying to break the MLB home run record for a season. Is there one of those that, like, this is must-see TV for you to watch? It's going to be Aaron Judge down the stretch uh, because let's face it, uh, the fact that we learned so much more information uh, after the fact about what the 98 home run chase, you know, the PDs behind it, I think that changed that in the minds of a lot of fans. You know, what Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were accomplishing that year. The last player, uh, last two players to go over 60 home runs were in 2001 and Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa. Those guys are now linked to PDs. And I think for a lot of fans, that shapes their view of, of their numbers. Well, Aaron Judge, there's none of that talk. Uh, and I really believe that as we go through the month of September, and at the moment he's on pace to hit 63, if he gets close, I feel like that that'll you know lead Sports Center every night. Uh, we'll be doing cut-ins into Yankee games as he gets closer, as we did uh, we saw with McGuire and, and Sammy Sosa. The Albert Pujols story is terrific. You love the fact that he's – uh, he's rewriting the end of his career as opposed to being released by the Angels last year. But Aaron Judge right now is the biggest name in baseball because he's pursuing number 60. Fernando Tatis Jr. came out and spoke to the media, um, I believe it was yesterday, basically apologizing uh, for you know the the – illegal use uh, uh, that has now put him on an 80-game suspension and also talked about the apology that he made to his teammates uh, before talking to the media, seemed to have this reflection on the, you maybe call it immaturity over the last maybe two years of his career. What did you make of what he said to his teammates and their reaction to it? That I'm sure a lot of his teammates were glad to hear it because, Chris, over the last year, there's been a lot of anger building up within that organization toward Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, You know, last year, 
Uh, there are a couple moments you remember Manny Machado challenged him in the dugout when it looked like he just wasn't mm-hmm. playing the game the way that they uh, thought he should play. The season ended after he dislocated his shoulder four times. The Padres wanted him to get shoulder surgery. He didn't have that done, uh, which meant that he really wasn't going to be fixed going into 2022. Then he had the motorcycle accident, uh, you know, which backed him up into it looked like August when he was going to return. And, yes, I know he has uh, the explanation about getting ringworm and taking a medication. By the way, I got ringworm when I was a kid, and I did not take PEDs. Uh, Did your dad come to your defense? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I don't think anybody in baseball believes that explanation, probably including a lot of his teammates. So to see him uh, to be so – it felt like contrite yesterday – and to tell everybody, yes, I'm going to get shoulder surgery, which he needs. And yes, you know, I'm taking full responsibility for this. This is all my fault. I'm sure that those were words that his teammates really wanted to hear. And now they're going to want him to back it up with action. I will say every time that A.J. Preller puts all the chips in the table to make big moves, it's for whatever reason, just doesn't seem to pay off whenever it does. Hey, Buster, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thanks, Chris. Which NFL team this year is most likely to suffer a decline in 2022? We'll tell you next. This is Spain and Fitz. Chris Budden, Marcel Louis Jacques filling in ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We've been selling so much optimism on a Wednesday night. It's time to talk about who we think is not going to live up to par. Who's going to be down from where they were a year ago in the NFL. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. I'm Chris Budden. He is Marcel-Louis-Jacques filling in for Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Marcel, every year, Bill Barnwell does an article predicting teams most likely to decline in 2022, and he's usually pretty spot on. He lists five teams. Let's go through them. Number one, Tennessee Titans, although they do have a healthy Derrick Henry back, you believe they'll be worse than a year ago when they were 12-5? and Uh, Yes, I do. And when you look at the AFC playoff picture, uh, all of those teams that made the playoffs got better except for two, the Titans and the Patriots. The Titans traded away their best offensive weapon outside of Derrick Henry. Uh, Now they are a lot more one-dimensional than – they once were where they could beat you through the air or on the ground. I I'm, I think he's spot on there. I, I think the Titans obviously declined from 12 and 5, and I think they missed the playoffs altogether. Ooh, there you go. Hot take. Green Bay Packers at 13 and 4 a year ago. Devontae Adams says goodbye to Green Bay, says hello. I almost said Oakland, Las Vegas. Is Green Bay going to be worse than 13 and 4? Yes, and you know we heard Sammy Watkins earlier in the show say that Aaron Rodgers is just on a whole other level. Well, we go see, we go see it because yeah, he doesn't have any support. He doesn't have the same level of support. He doesn't have that safety blanket in Devontae Adams. They have an improved defense, sure, but right now it's Rodgers, Aaron Jones, and AJ Dillon, who I loved out of Boston College, but I'm not sold that he can help be a pillar of this Green Bay offense as they try to win 13 games. Luckily, the NFC North. Not very good. You're not going to need to win 13 games and make the playoffs. So the number three team on here is interesting because they have the offensive firepower. But how about the Las Vegas Raiders at 10-7 and seven a year ago, but they had the point differential of 6.9 win team. They were outscored by nearly four points per game. 
it's interesting to put them in there. You think they get fewer than 10 wins? Fewer than 10 wins is going to be looked at as a disappointment, I think, when you do when you make the moves they made, trading for Devontae Adams, signing Chandler Jones. But similar to the Cowboys, they are suspect in the secondary as well. Uh, they're going to be heavily relying on that Crosby-Jones pass rush. Um, and then the AFC West is just yeah. – it's a grinder. It's like playing in the SEC West where – you know, any given game, you could lose by – it doesn't matter. Like, there's no there's no weeks off. There's no yeah, weeks off. It's such an intriguing division in terms of who's – like, they're all just going to beat each other up, so we'll see who comes out of it alive. But it could be to a point where a team that, that is second in the division just – they've just racked up the losses because of everyone that you had to play going through that. All right, the Steelers. They don't even know who's going to be a quarterback – the offensive line, worse than a year ago, and they only had nine wins and seven losses and a tie. Yeah, this one's a layup. Uh, Steelers' offense projects to be one of the worst in the NFL. Uh, skill players, they've had, they got some talent. Deontay Johnson, uh, Chase Claypool, George Pickens has looked like a, a steal during training camp. But that quarterback position is still a major question mark. That offensive line is poor. Uh, Najee Harris, you just again, you, you hope that – he doesn't get beaten to the ground, but uh, I, I believe this one. And not to mention the AFC North is a nightmare. Again, no weeks off there. Do you think there's a chance we see Kenny Pickett at quarterback? I think there is because he's a first-round pick. And anytime you pick a quarterback in the first round, the expectation is that he plays at some point as a rookie. So I think Trubisky starts the season as the starter, but he is on a shorter leash than – my dog when there's a chicken bone laying <laughs> on the sidewalk. Immediate. I, I, I'm all for it. I mean, I, I cover Kenny Pickett in college. Watching him on that same field, Pittsburgh fans will love it. Uh, Heinz Field, it will never be anything other than that. All right, the fifth team on there, the Atlanta Falcons. They only had seven wins. They're <laughs> not even going to reach that point. <laughs> and I, I'm actually I'm good friends with some self-deprecating Falcons fans, and uh, <laughs> there is very little hope in that, in that fan base right now. They traded Matt Ryan, which was the right mm -hmm. thing to do after their interest in Deshaun Watson was made public. Uh, they did right by their quarterback and gave him another chance to win. Uh, Marcus Mariota, he's played well in reserve of uh, in backup of Derek Carr over the past couple of years. He earned another spot, uh, another starting job. But he's not going to lead them to the playoffs. He's not going to. Uh, he's not necessarily going to improve this team. They're still struggling on defense. Uh, I like what they have in Drake London and Kyle Pitts, but I think they're still a year or two and a quarterback away from uh, from hitting that double digit or even flirting with that double digit win total. Yeah, depending on, on how they fall, could pick up a quarterback in next year's class, which will have a load of talent. If you're looking for someone, though, that can sell you on anything Falcons-related, like Harry Douglas always feels like he can convince me of anything, and he's still on the <laughs> Falcons Kool-Aid, uh, despite everything that you said. The Falcons at 7-10 and 10 a year ago. This was all from Bill Barnwell's article. He does it every year. You can read that on ESPN.com. Predicting the NFL teams that are most likely to decline in 2022. So – Heisman odds came out today. C.J. Stroud, quarterback for Ohio State, the favorite, while Alabama's Will Anderson Jr., linebacker, attracting the most bets, which is interesting. A defense, like, put your money in. Maybe this is the year a defensive guy wins it. 
you know, I feel like we we say that uh, we've said that before. And uh, if Tyre Matthew couldn't win it, if Ndam Kamsu couldn't win it, and if Chase Young couldn't win it, then I, I'm not sure. Although uh, Will Anderson is a he is a special talent, but I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of C.J. Stroud when. When you talk about the the quarterbacks in in next year's class, he's in that conversation of the the special talents that are going to be uh, that are going to be available. Obviously, he loses mm-hmm. Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, but he does have Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, who went absolutely bananas in the Rose Bowl last year. He's set up to have a special year, uh, and Ohio State always has. Uh, they've they've always got crazy weapons at wide out. So uh, I, I like C.J. Stroud as the favorite. Uh, although, don't sleep on Caleb Williams. I'd say they yeah. got Addison from, from Pitt, the <laughs> uh, Belitnikoff yep. winner, just transferred in. I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. People forget just how nice USC can be when USC is tight. Look, if Lincoln <laughs> Riley true. is there and he turns USC into USC again, it's over for the rest of college football. It's over for the Pac-12, no doubt, but it's over for the rest of college football as well. We'll see how quickly they can gel with all the 40-plus whatever transfers that they got uh, coming into L.A. So Stroud threw for over 4,400 yards last year with 44 touchdowns. He's the favorite. A name that we didn't even mention. How about Bryce Young, who won it a year ago for Alabama? Here's the thing that I think happens. You have three guys at Alabama that could be in for this when you talk about Will Anderson Jr. at linebacker. When you talk about Bryce Young, who, you know, guys don't really win it back-to-back seasons. And then you add Jameer Gibbs, who is their tailback, who transferred over from Georgia Tech, who I think is a fantastic talent. You start splitting those votes. That, to me, kind of is also why the favorite leads to our C.J. Stroud. Also, Nick Saban, not news. Got a contract. He's making $11 million. The highest-paid football coach out there. Deserves every single penny of it with the amount of championships and the amount of money that he's bringing in to Tuscaloosa. Week zero is this weekend. We're going to have actual college football to talk about before everything ramps up the following weekend for week one. Dolphins head coach Mike McDaniel had high praise for his signal caller, but what are the expectations in Miami? Was Marcel, the guy who knows everything about Miami training camp. This is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Time for a little NFL training camp whip around here on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. He is Marcel Louis-Jacques. I am Chris Bunn, and we are filling in for Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz brought to you by Boost Mobile, a proud sponsor of the 2022 Department of Defense Warrior Games. With Boost Mobile, feel the power of more money in your pocket, one of America's largest 5G networks. Devin, take us through the different camps around the NFL today. All right, let's do this. Marcel. Dolphins head coach Mike McDaniel had high praise for his signal caller, Tua, saying, I couldn't be happier with where he is at. You are watching a guy become professional right in front of your eyes. The question is, what type of season should we expect from Tua this season? Yeah, the Dolphins are kind of simultaneously isolating the variable here in Tua and then supporting their most important player and most important investment. They brought in a coaching staff that knows how to talk to him, that knows how to work with them. And in return, they're extracting a lot out of him. He's working harder for people that he knows believe in him. I don't think we're going to see like a Josh Allen type leap in year three. I, I think that is becoming an unrealistic standard. But I think we see a, a strong season from Tua Tungo Bailoa. He's not going to be asked 
to do a whole lot. He's not going to be asked to put the game on his shoulders. He's got the weapons to do that for him. You hear Mike McDaniel talk a lot about yak, 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 yards after the catch. Dump that ball to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and let them do the rest. It's not a hard formula. Uh, I projected a, a playoff berth for Miami this year. Uh, depending on the matchup, they might even win a playoff game. I'm a believer. I think that this thing works this year, and I've been watching them every day for the past month and a half or so, and Tua looks like the real deal so far this year. Can I ask you a question? Everything that you read about Tua, the quotes, it seems like a different kind of confidence than you see the last two years. Is that a direct trickle down of just the optimism that Mike McDaniel has and the personality that he displays? Yeah, I asked Tua today, actually. I said, you know, where do you think uh, – what, what do you think the difference is between this training camp and the two prior? And he, he said the confidence. Myself, my team, we, we came into this with a lot of confidence. I asked him, where does that come from? It's like it comes from our coaches and obviously the guy in charge, Mike McDaniel. I've never met a more positive, supportive person. So I, I, it, it does come from a lot of that. And, and previous regime, Brian Flores, who is not a bad football coach, but personality-wise doesn't necessarily clash with Tua. I think Flores is the kind of guy who wants to challenge you to – he wants to challenge you into being at a level, playing at a level that he wants you to play at instead of building you up there. He's the kind of guy that – you know, I don't know if it's negative reinforcement, if that's the, the, the proper terminology. But let's just say that those personalities did not clash. They, they clash. They did not mesh. All right, next up, Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll said this when it comes to the QB competition between Geno Smith and Drew Locke. I can go ahead and just call it, but I'm, I want to let the guys battle and let them show you know, where they are and let us get as much information as possible. Um, Gino's done a really good job of being in that position. Uh, his voice is solid. He's on point all the time. He's been very consistent with his work, all of that. And Drew has been really sharp. I know it's not supposed to be a good situation when you have two quarterbacks. It means you don't have one, as the old saying, you know. But I don't know. If that's that We might have two ones. We'll see what happens. All right, Chris, two questions here. First, do you believe him? Second, who are you going to pick for that job? Do I believe him that they have two ones? No, I believe that he has two twos and he's going to try and figure out who's going to be the one. And maybe, I don't know, maybe at the end of the day they go get Jimmy G eventually. I think based on everything you're hearing out of training camp, I think it's going to be Geno Smith. He's getting the start in the final preseason game. Maybe part of that's because Drew Locke tested positive for COVID, uh, couldn't play in the second game. I, I think they know what they're getting with Geno Smith, so I think that he is your starter, but I don't believe him when he says we're deciding between two ones. Yeah, you know that phrase, when you have two quarterbacks, <laughs> you don't have one. Uh, yeah. If your two ones are Geno Smith and Drew Hawk, <laughs> Pete, you don't have a one. You don't have a one. You have two twos. You I'm, think they go out and eventually get somebody? Uh, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo would make a lot of sense. He would make a lot of sense. Uh, I, I think that that, that offense Come has a couple playmakers built in. Um, I don't think that it, they would even necessarily need to wait for an injury. Uh, it's just a matter of does San Francisco want to trade Jimmy within the division. Uh, there's reports that Jimmy was not issued a playbook this year, so he can tell Seattle <laughs> well, a couple things. He is fourth things. on the depth chart. <laughs> Think it tells Seattle a couple things, but it's not like you know he's going to be divulging every secret known to man about the Niners organization. It would make a lot of sense, though, uh, for them to go out and get a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo. All right, the ESPN Power Rankers came, Power Rankings came out today, and the top five are as follows: number one, Bills; number two, Bucks; number three, Rams; number four, Chiefs; 
Number five, Bengals. Marcel, which team outside of that top five do you think could finish in that group by season's end? Uh, I think we could see. I think we could see the Chargers in there. I know earlier I said that I, I believe in organizations being themselves at the end of the day, and that's my gut telling me. But uh, if all goes right for the Chargers, this is a team that has elite talent on both sides of the ball, all levels on both sides of the ball. When you look at all the most important positions, they've got a franchise left tackle. They've got a franchise quarterback. They've got two wide receiver ones. They've got Austin Eckler, one of the better running backs in the league. Defense, they've got a heck of a corner in J.C. Jackson, Derwin James, uh, Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. Uh, in terms of the talent around this team. I think that if it all clicks for them, they are a Super Bowl contender. I think the Raiders could be a possibility because uh, I think that I picked them to win the division over the Chiefs. I just think with the star power that they have going out and getting Devontae Adams, I'm excited to see what Derek Carr brings to the field this year, uh, given everything that we've heard over the offseason. Uh, the future Hall of Famer, possibly, who might have not been there if uh, – if Dana White had had his way, uh, but that was put on the kibosh. So I'm going to go with the Raiders. All right, let's go with one more here. Joe Burrow was a full participant at Bengals joint practice with Rams following his appendectomy. Chris, is it Super Bowl or bust for Cincy? I mean, do I think that – I mean, what is a – is it a bad season if they don't make the Super Bowl? Um – yeah, I mean, I, I, I think they're stacked. I love what they got. I have I've never been through an appendectomy. I don't know how hard that is to come back from, but uh, I, I think that it's a disappointing season if they're not able to get to the Super Bowl. I think they have the talent and they have the depth to be able to do it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, they do have the talent, and I, I expect the Bengals to be good. I expect them to contend for a Super Bowl. I don't know if I'm willing to say it's Super Bowl or bust quite yet, uh, just because, again, it is the AFC North is is very talented. The AFC itself is very talented, and I know he did. Uh, Burrow and and the boys did go through Pat Mahomes last year, mm-hmm. but there is a world in which you might have to go through Pat Mahomes and then Josh Allen, or Pat Mahomes and then uh, and then Justin Herbert, or Justin Herbert and then Josh Allen. There's just a lot of there's a lot of very dynamic, talented quarterbacks and teams you're gonna have to go through to get there it's hard to get there in back-to-back years that's what made what Kansas City did so dang impressive maybe we'll see him smoking that cigar at the end of the season all right this this was a shocker one of our colleagues is going to be competing in the 34th season of the amazing race find out who it is and we go through quickies next this is Bain and Fitz Chris Button Marcel Louis Jacques filling in on ESPN radio Spain and Fitz the podcast we're going to wrap things up on a Wednesday evening here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance here to help you score big savings to see how much you can save on auto insurance. Visit Progressive.com. When we wrap up the show, we like to give you all the news that we didn't get to from around the sports headlines with something that we call Quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. Former Seattle Seahawks linebacker Shaquem Griffin retiring from the NFL. He announced it today, writing for the Players' Tribune, that he's looking forward to helping others as part of the NFL legends community. At his left hand amputated at age four because of amniotic band syndrome. Uh, it has been a true inspiration when you look at what he's been able to do. Marcel, any stories, any thoughts when you think of Griffin retiring? 
I, I just think of like he he said the inspiration he's going to be to the the kid playing football growing up with one hand who you know never maybe maybe never would have thought he could make it otherwise or just needed to see that somebody else did it uh as proof that he can to um you know talented football player and got to play with his brother as well mm-hmm. i think that's always really cool to see in the nfl just a whole lot of great vibes surrounding shakeem griffin uh congrats to him for a uh congrats to him for a resounding career yeah, there's images that will stick in my mind of the way that he trained and um, the things that he had to go to of how he would do chest presses and having to clip on onto the bar. It's just what he had to go through to even just be able to play football was outstanding. So enjoy retirement. Hall of Famer and broadcaster Lynn Dawson died at age 87. He quarterbacked the Chiefs to a Super Bowl. There's also this amazing photo that has been popping up when uh, it was announced today of him in Super Bowl one sitting there at halftime just smoking a cig. <laughs> it's iconic. Iconic <laughs> with, I think, a beer at his feet, too, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, just different game back then. You know what I'm saying? Oh, my God. Different disregard. I didn't even see the beer. I'm so distracted by (laughs) the the sing in the hand. You know, different game. That was back on Super Bowl one. Lynn Dawson dying at the age of 87. Quickies. Rex Ryan to star in season 34 of The Amazing Race on CBS. And I'm telling you, if there was like a competition or a game show or something, this would be the one that I would want to be in. The current ESPN analyst is going to partner with Tim Mann, who Entertainment Weekly says is a probation officer, and Ryan's golf partner to form a duo for this season. What, what are the odds? Do we think he wins? Uh, probably not, no. But I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. <laughs> I think he's going to be entertaining at the very least. Seeing, seeing Rex interact with uh, so many different – different cultures well maybe just one if depending on how many legs he he gets through uh no this is exciting i love the amazing race it's it's maybe my favorite reality show uh i think my uh my girlfriend and i watched the entire latest season like just binged watched it the one where they had to stop like midway through because of the pandemic so uh you know hopefully it's back to normal now because that last season was uh i understand why it had to be like that but uh (laughs) It's it's nothing like the show is originally intended. This is always the interesting thing when you bring up the Amazing Race. Do you think you and your girlfriend could do it, or would it cause too many fights? Um, I think that we, I think we could do it. I think we could do it. We don't really fight like that. And if we if we have disagreements, we're good at talking things through. So uh, no, I think we, I think we could. I think she'll tell you that we we probably couldn't <laughs> because she would be stressed out. But uh, uh, and is not good with directions. She knows I love her though, but. Uh, I think that we could. I think that, you know, our vibe, our strengths would uh, – I, I think we would go far. At the very least, we could do – we could be top five. There you go. There's some positive. My husband and I would um, be arguing and probably divorced by the time the second episode airs. Quickies. So a jury awarded Vanessa Bryant $16 million over crash photos taken of Kobe Bryant and his daughter when this – the helicopter – Accident came out. Um, there were photos that were leaked to the media. The Los Angeles County um, was sued. And overall, uh, $16 million uh, given to Vanessa Bryant, which when you think about the 
amount like invasion of privacy over such a horrific time in their life uh happy that that justice was served on this one absolutely no amount of money i think could really make up for the feeling that the 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 feeling that the la county uh deputies evoked from her by sharing those photos um the the embarrassment the the trauma the pain that Mm -hmm. she's had to endure over the past two years uh again no amount of money could make up for that but i'm glad that she is getting some semblance of justice here the nine jurors unanimously agree with Vanessa Bryant and her attorneys that the photos invaded her privacy and caused emotional distress. Quickies. All right. Top PGA Tour golfers commit to playing more events. 12 tournaments that have purses between 15 to $20 million. Here's Jay Monahan, PGA Tour commissioner. In addition to the elevated events we announced in June, we're planning to elevate another four events within the 2023 FedEx Cup regular season. We will identify these tournaments in the near future, and they will feature an average purse of $20 million. The second item, well, to me, it's the headline, and I've already alluded to it. Our top players are making a commitment to play in all 12 elevated events, as well as the Players' Championship, the Masters Tournament, the PGA Championship, the U.S. Open, and the Open Championship. They will also add at least three additional PGA Tour events to their schedules. All of this trying to combat all the players that are leaving for the rival live golf circuit. Uh, Roy McIlroy and Tiger Woods hosted a championship trying to rally players together. And McIlroy said this, we've all made a commitment to get together more often to make the product more compelling. I don't have a crystal ball, but I think everyone in that room thought this was the best way to move forward. Sounds like we're finally getting some players that are feeling optimistic about the direction of the PGA. Yeah, let's hope that it's not, you know, too little, too late. Uh, I don't think that the the Live Tour has been so resounding of success that the PGA Tour needs to worry about its its well-being, but make the game more exciting. There is an interest in golf. Like the spike in the interest in golf is is maybe at the highest it's ever been since Tiger Woods peak, and I think a little bit of it is because of this uh the the pandemic. It was an activity that a lot of people took up just to be outdoors and active. You have to take advantage of that. You have to strike while the iron's hot. So yeah, introduce some, introduce something new, something fun, something that's going to capture people's attention. And look, anything with Tiger Woods in it is going to do numbers. <laughs> that's all I'll say. Quickies. The Sky beat the Liberty 90-72 to in Game 3 to advance to the WNBA playoffs. The defending champion Sky await the winner of Connecticut-Dallas deciding Game 3 tonight right after we're done. And the best quote ever came from Candace Parker after the win when Holly Rose interviewing her and she's talking about the amount of assists and rebounds. And she goes, Holly, I'm old. Which if Candace Parker's old, that means I'm old because then I <laughs> covered her playing in college. <laughs> I did not cover Candace Parker, but I very much remember her watching her play at at, at Tennessee. Uh, man, that was a what what a series there. That was yeah. like a it, with the new with the new two uh, one format in the first round of the WNBA playoffs. Really thought that the Liberty snuck around and did something there, since it was the Chicago Sky's coach who complained about the the new format and how it it, it gives advantage to 
to the lower seed if they win a game than look at the Liberty messing around and winning a game. But uh, Sky ended up taking care of business, and, and they're, they're looking for that repeat. Quickies. And when Diaz could hear famed entrance song live as Timmy Trumpet to attend New York Mets game on Tuesday, it is the best hype music in all of sports right now. It is Narco and that vision of Edwin Diaz running out. It is <laughs> epic, and I love every moment of it. Like, I want to wake up to Narco. I I'm fired up right now. I might start doing a couple paces around the living room here. That's uh, no, that, that's exciting. And again, baseball like golf has a has a a problem of making things fun. This is something that makes things fun. If right Diaz happens to get summoned to pitch against the Los Angeles Dodgers Tuesday night, then Timmy Trumpet will perform the song live when the closer comes from the bullpen. See, this is what we need. We need Timmy Trumpet to get you, Marcel, to enjoy Major League Baseball. Exactly. This, it's for me. I am in that, I'm in that new demographic of people that, that is starting to alienate from, from baseball, that baseball is starting to lose. And it's not just because it's a boring 162-game season where most <laughs> of the games are pointless. It's because I'm tired of the crotchety, curmudgeon, old rules, don't celebrate, don't do this, take your base and go. It's just it's lame, man. If you hit a baseball 500 feet, I want to see you – I, I want to see you sneeze all the way to first base. You could do the worm across home plate for all I care. That's really cool. And that's how you make baseball fun. Bat flip it. I mean, we're singing in Williamsport. The, the, a kid bat flipped all the way to first base. So, you know, maybe the game's, maybe the game's changing. This is and the somebody best. out there, somebody out there yelled at their TV, oh, look at the game is ruined now. Look at the no. kids. Think of the children. It is so good, Marcel. This has been a fun one on a Wednesday. Marcel, Louis Jacques, I am Chris Bunn, and we've been filling in for Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.